The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. this exciting word, love hates, so exciting, uh, open mind, it's going to be good, I'm ready, Father, help us to get into this with an open mind and an open heart, God, to hear your word, we pray the Holy Spirit would be our counselor, that he would lead us into truth and help us to, uh, Lord, not just hold on to uh, what we think, but Lord, help us to grab onto your word and grab onto truth, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. We're going through a series right now rooted in love. Last week we talked about how even all of the good Christian doctrines, if they're not rooted in love, they just lead to disaster. Uh, you can have a doctrine of forgiveness. If it's not rooted in real love, right, then it just becomes a victim and you get walked on all the time. You can have a doctrine of faith, and you can have faith, 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 but if it's not rooted in love, then when something happens where you had faith for healing and you don't get healed, or faith that your loved one was going to be okay and they end up not, or faith that you're going to be able to pay your rent, or something, and then you couldn't, then all of a sudden you, everything falls apart. She's like, I thought faith worked, and it didn't work. Well, but if you are rooted in love, what happens is that if something goes wrong, it doesn't line up with what you were claiming, then you go, well, wait a minute, if I'm claiming this, and it didn't happen, but God is good, and God loves me, there must be a reason that's bigger than what I understand that God's doing it this way, right? And so your foundation is good. And the Bible talks about everything should be rooted in love. So if you didn't hear that message, I just encourage you to go back and read it so you understand the base that we're coming out of. Uh, but we're going to go through this one now, Love Hates. And I'm going to walk you through this because I know that that sounds opposite, contrary. But did you know that when you actually listen to Jesus, so many things in the, his teaching were opposite. The first shall be what? Last. The last shall be first. Well, that's opposite, right? Give, right? And then what happens? It comes back. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So the, the ability to grow in an area and to get more of something, more joy, give joy, right? You want more forgiveness in your life, give more. You want more grace in your life, give more grace. Why? Because if you judge others, you'll be judged yourself, right? So the Bible has this way of showing us that God's ways are different because it says that his ways are higher than our ways, right? He thinks differently than we do. So love, uh, love hate starts here, 1 John 4, 16. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. We all know that, right? God is love. That's what God is. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. So we know this, that God doesn't just love. He like literally is love. He literally is. I talked last week about how I took a trip to Africa for a missions trip and they were sweeping the floors in the huts, but the huts had dirt floors. So no matter how much you sweep it, guess what you're going to find? Dirt. That's what you're going to find. Dirt. It's a dirt floor. And so eventually it got hard and it got solid, but it was still just dirt. Okay? Because that is what it is. Well, God, no matter how much you work against God, kick against God, hate God, don't like God, you, you do whatever you can towards God, the ultimate, what you find is just more love because that's who he is. That's what he is. Okay? Hold on to that thought, because now we're going to Proverbs, which also talks about God, and it says that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, and then it lists them out. 
So follow me here for a second. God is what? And God does what? It's here. God loves. God is love. God hates. If God is love and God hates, then love does what? Love hates. It's not a trick question. I'm trying to trick you into something. I'm not trying to trick you into going out and throwing rocks at people and hurting people. It's just, we're just following through. This is what the word says. And I'll walk it out. We'll talk about what to do with it as we go. Uh, but here's some things that the Lord hates that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. That's not a makeup thing. Um, that's not a new TikTok trend. Haughty eyes is actually just pride. Arrogance, right? Just pride and arrogance, being haughty, looking down on other people, thinking better of yourself than you are. That's haughty eyes. The Lord hates that. A lying tongue. Okay? Somebody who's telling things that aren't truth. Why? Because we know that God is truth. Right? He speaks truth. He is truth. Well, he hates lies. He hates things that are not true. Uh, hands that shed innocent blood. Right? God doesn't like people who shed blood. Now, when you talk and you actually read the Bible, Jesus actually takes us to a different standard where he compares murder to even actually just talking bad about someone. Right? Because you're murdering their character. You're murdering their life, their person. Right? But God hates that. He hates physical murder. He hates the murder of other people's integrity. He hates other the murder of other people's uh, life through your words. Um, things like that. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. He hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. So a heart sits around and thinks, about, what can I do that's wrong? How can I take advantage of people? How can I hurt people? How can I get my own way? How can I get for myself and be against stuff? Like, God hates that. He just says that's not something that God is for. Feet that run swiftly to evil. There's something bad to do. Oh, I'm there. Boom. All right, good. Let's go do it. Let's get into trouble. Right? God hates that. He doesn't like it. Okay? I know this is uh, a little shocking to some. They think, well, oh, I don't think God hates anything. But we're just reading out of the Bible. A false witness who gives false testimony. You ever been gossiped about? Have you ever been gossiped about when it wasn't true? Because sometimes people are gossiping about you and you hate it, but it's true. Right? <laughs> I can't believe they talked about that like me. Now everybody's gonna think that I everybody's gonna think that I did this. Well, you did do that. Well, I know, but I don't want everybody to know, because that's not like my persona that I put out there. No, but sometimes, and it's still not great to do that about people, but sometimes there's gossip and it's just not true. Isn't that the worst? And all you want to do is defend yourself and get crazy? But then when you get crazy, then everybody thinks you're crazy. Yeah, and then they think it's true. Because yeah. look how crazy they are. It must be true. Look how mad they're getting. And now you're stuck. So the only thing you can really do is just sit there and be quiet and let the rumors run. Right? It's horrible. God hates that. That's not something that he is for. He's against it. And one who stirs up discord among brothers. God hates people that go around when people are going around and just causing problems. Trying to find ways to like create strife, create trouble, create problems, create disunity. Like God hates that. He hates that activity. Not the person, but he hates the activity. So these are the seven. I just put them there in a list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And now a question is, how many have you seen in society? How many of these things just looking around in society and culture have you seen? Have you seen haughty eyes and pride, people being prideful, being all concerned about themselves? Have you seen people with lying tongues telling all kinds of lies? Have you seen hands that shed innocent blood or that tear people down? 
Have you seen people devising wicked schemes or they're running to do bad things? Man, people just love to do bad stuff. They just love it. People who are bearing false witness, people who serve discord, have you seen those in society? And then the even deeper question is how many of these have you seen in yourself? Like if you really looked at your own self, do you see any of those in yourself? Just in the way that you live. You know, have you been talking about somebody that you should like, oh man, wow, I don't want to do that, right? But the Bible talks about when we look at God's word, right? It's like looking into a mirror. Right? Is there anything you say, boy, I, I, I can see that list and I'm, I don't really like it. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't want God to hate me, though. That's kind of heavy. I don't want to do that. But pause for a second. Don't run from it too fast. Because this is part of understanding God's love and being rooted in love. Sometimes love is encouraging. It's uplifting. It's telling you good things. And sometimes love is actually not doing that with you it's seeing something in your life that's not good and it's even coming against you why would love hate if god is love and he hates certain activities why would he do that like if you're interpreting it through this lens of love because everything's rooted in love why would god possibly hate those things let's take an easy one Shedding innocent blood. Why would God hate that? Because people are harmed, right? People are hurt. Good people are hurt, right? And God doesn't want to see that, so he hates that. Right? He's against it. And so these things happen. So I'm going to show you guys a demonstration. If I can find it. Oh, we threw out to Here we go. Forgot it down there. I'm going to have Alicia come up. Come on, Alicia. This is my daughter. Look at the lovely Alicia right now, and I'm going to have her experiment with me. She doesn't know what this experiment is, but I just want to show you a little bit of God's perspective on some things. Uh, who likes saltine crackers? Anybody? Right. What's so funny is I heard there was some kind of a social media craze, TikTok or Facebook or something, where like people are putting butter on crackers, and that's like a craze. Like, that used to be our meals sometimes. <laughs> like, I grew up poor, and we were like literally eating crackers with butter on them. Like, that was our, that was like our dinner or our lunch. We're like, oh, give me some more crackers with butter on them. It's like, that's a craze now. Like, that's trendy. Like, okay, all the poor stuff's going to be trendy someday. I just was born at the wrong time for that. So, so this is fresh out of the package. That's a good cracker. Okay, there's enough, no problems with it at all. How many of you would eat that if I gave it to you right out of the pack? Right? Okay. I'm going to make it a little more interesting. Um, and we're going to bust this bad boy out. And uh, we're going to get a little experiment. <laughs> Come over here. You're part of this. Don't make me call up someone else. Don't worry. It's fresh. It's fresh. But will we get hand sanitizer real quick? Stop. Let's not put out anyone. Just stop. Okay. 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 No, let me see. Let me see. Let me see your cracker. Okay. I'm just going to look. Don't freak out. Okay. 
would you eat this? Are you going to pass? Okay, so would you eat this? No. Anybody? No. For a dollar? No. Okay. What is it? Okay, so question. If I turned it around... Because this side's clean. So would you eat that side? <laughs> you can break the bad you can you can hold the bad side away and just eat the good side. Fine, thank you, Alicia. You can sit down now, unless you just want a bite. Hey, we eat clean. We're doing clean eating right now, so <laughs> nothing bad enough. Okay. That was peanut butter and soy sauce and Worcestershire and stuff. That wasn't really a diaper. I wouldn't do that to you guys. Come on. That's disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> I'm just glad somebody didn't switch it out on me. That would have been a horrible bite. So let me ask you this. Even if I turn that around, you wouldn't eat it. Because it's still contaminated, right? How do you think God feels about the sin that we think we're hiding in our lives? It's like, well, I don't show that side at church. Like, I don't show that side around other people. I don't do that. Like, that's my good side when I show it to God. Don't you think he can see the other side of your cracker? Now, you think he's really fooled? Like nobody else is around, right? Man looks on the outside, but God looks where? The heart, right? God knows, okay? So God hates sin, one, because he can't ignore it. He's aware of it. We're good at compartmentalizing. We're good at hiding things. We're good at putting things away, but God knows. God sees it. He's like, I see that, and it's disgusting, and it's disgusting also because he knows that it actually kills. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Anybody ever played with pigs before? Like pigs? This is my daughter Alicia's day because she used to have a pig, a guinea pig. But a pig's a pig, right? I mean, let's not start treating them differently. They're pigs. Her and Krista, they both look so smart and sophisticated now, but they had a guinea pig, and they would take it and throw it. <laughs> my brother came up to visit me from California, and he came, and he's like, uh, you should go check on your daughters. They're in the bedroom, and I'm not sure they should be doing what they're doing. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, they have the guinea pig. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I walk in there just as she's throwing it, as hard as she can, straight up in the air. And it literally is going up, hitting the ceiling, and then coming, boom, coming back down. And all the way back down, do you know what it says? You've had a guinea pig before. Boom, bounces on the ground, so they're not catching it either. And then running over, grabbing it again, throwing it again. Boom. Boom. I'm, 
Like, and I didn't stop it right away. <laughs> Not because I was enjoying it. Although I was, I was in shock. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, is this happening? I'm processing this. Like, what do you do? Like, and so I look, I said, stop. You can't do that. Answer? He loves it. He's laughing. <laughs> That's real life. But he loves it. He's laughing. So a week later, guess what? The guinea pig was gone because the next thing that he loved and laughed at was being shoved down a slide as hard as they could. And it finally bit somebody and drew blood. And he's like, I'm defending myself. So he became a child-eating guinea pig just to survive. But even if it seems fun, it was killing it. Okay? God knows that sin, even when it seems fun, is killing. Or it's killing the person you someone. It's killing you. Or it's killing the person you're sinning against, but somebody's dying. Because the wages of sin is death. It always produces death. Not sometimes, it always produces death. The Bible talks about a workman is worthy of his wages. Well, guess what? God, the, the principle in the Bible is whatever you sow, you reap. When something's being sowed, when something's being done, guess what? Boom. It's going to come back. It happens. Sowing things that are sinful reap the rewards of sin, which the Bible says the wages of sin is death, so it comes. So God hates it because he knows that it's killing somebody. He knows it's killing the person or he knows it's killing you. And you're like, but it's fun. We're all laughing. It's a good time. We're enjoying ourselves. But God knows that that is not the end, that eventually it's going to take someone out. Okay, so if that's the case, what are you going to do about it? What should we do about it? Well, Matthew 7, verses 4 through 5 says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Okay, so here's step number one on what we do with sin that God hates. Jesus gives us the direction. It says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while there is still a beam in your own eye? So the first thing that we're supposed to do with this sin that God hates, that love hates, is not to go around and say, man, God hates you. I can see that speck in your eye, and do you know what? God hates that. You better keep your eyes closed, because if God sees that, you're in some big trouble. I recommend some sunglasses. Cover that stuff up, you sicko. Because the first thing to do is not to point out what's in someone else's eye, which in this is their life. The first thing to do is to look and say, what's going on in my life? What's going on right here? And you know that the idea here is not really to take care of that. I mean, how long would it really take you to take a plank out of your own eye if you had one in there? I mean, is that like an all-day thing? I mean, I got a plank. I mean, is that like an all-day adventure? Like, well, let me see. I'm going to have to do It should go pretty fast, right? You just grab it and get it out. But the idea is not that, okay, well, good. Well, just give me a second. Boom, took it out. Okay, that's out. Now, look at you. you... That's not the idea here. The idea is that there's something significant going on in your own life that you're going to have to take out. And guess what? It's pulling them out. 
Think of like a, you know, a magician when they pull the cloth out, right? They pull one out and what happens? Oh, there's another one, another one, another one. Problem is when you start working on yourself, you realize, oh my gosh, man, there's more. There's more. I got more problems. I, mean, I, thought, I, was, I thought it was just addiction. But now I'm realizing there's a whole bunch of reasons I was doing addiction. I got to deal with that now. Well, I'm working on my marriage, and I thought it was just because my spouse was crazy. But now I'm actually working on it. You know, I'm kind of crazy. I got all kinds of stuff going on. I got to work on this. I thought I just had a spending problem. But now I go spend, and I've tried to stop, and I realize it really has nothing to do with stuff I'm buying or things I'm doing. It has to do with something in here. Like, I just keep pulling, and more coming. Like, what's going on? Really, the idea that Jesus is getting at here is you got enough problems of your own to deal with. So your job isn't to try to deal with everybody else's problems. Deal with your own. Start pulling it out. Start taking care of it. Start working on it. Start getting things better. It says, first take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When you do get to a place where you've got enough going on in your own life, enough health, and you're moving forward, you're like, you know, I, can, I think I actually could... The perspective here changes because you're not pointing out a speck in someone's eye, but what are you doing here? You will see clearly to do what? Remove it. You ever had somebody help you get something out of your eye before? Would you let anybody help you get something out of your eye? Just anybody? No. You let somebody get something out of your eye, you're typically wanting somebody to, that you trust, right? It's usually a job for mom. Right? Mom, help me. Mom, I got something in my eye. Right? Dad comes in. He's gruff hands. My dad's a landscaper. Throwing blocks and stuff all day. Throwing bark dust. He's got like, he's got more splinters and more stuff in his own. Yeah. He's got more stuff in his own hands than I have in my eye. <laughs> he's going to help me get it out. My whole, my whole eye's going to be landscaped when he's done. <laughs> but is that in my, in my eye, if I'm going to open this up to you, the, the most sensitive area of my person, you're like, I'm opening this, like, what are you going to do? Are you be careful? And then do you want somebody sticking their thumb in there trying to get it out? Okay, I'm going to have Cammie come up so I can show you what to do in an eye, because she's over here trying to give me instructions. Okay, this is how you get something out of an eye. No, 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 okay. I was just going to tell you guys that my dad, when you would come up to him when you were younger, he'd be like, oh, can you get this out of my eye? What he would do is he would go up to your face, open your eye like this. And then blowing it as hard as he possibly could. And it was the most uncomfortable thing in the world. And that's it. Well, come here so we can show. Come here, I'll blow in your eye and show. Okay, I'll just say, first of all, that that's medical. Because I just got my eyes checked. I got an eye exam. And guess what they did? Blew in my eye. Untrained and yet professional. It's amazing. Uh, I learned it from my mom. My mom used to blow in my eye and spit in it and stuff. Like, <laughs> so don't do that. Okay, but I'm just telling you right now, you want somebody around your eye that you can trust. Yeah. And you want somebody around your eye that's not going to make it worse. And you want somebody in your eye that's not going to shove their thumb in and rub that splinter around before they get it out, right? It's sensitive. Inf- like, oh, okay, go slow, slow. Okay, when you get to the point in someone's life where they trust you enough to open their eye and let you help them out, it will be a ways down the road. It won't be the first time you meet them. 
It won't be the first time that you saw them at church and realized that they're a sinner. It won't be the first time that you met them at a barbecue or a party or at work and realized they're doing something that God hates. Hey, you know what I learned at church? God hates that. Come here. Get it out of your eye. It'll be when relationships establish, and now you care about them, and they know you care about them, and they finally are telling you, said, you know what, this bothers me. Like, do I have something in my eye? And you're like, yeah, it's been there for like a year. And they're like, why didn't you tell me? But they're in a place where they're ready to be helped, and you're ready to help them. Because relationships have been established, trust has been established, things have been built up. So if God is love and love hates, right, the first still established rooted thing for helping someone get that out of their eye is what? Love, which is relationship, it's time, it's care, it's trust. You're building something up with them. What does it mean for your own life? Romans 5, 8 through 11, but God demonstrates his own love for us, so this is your life, my life, in this, that while we were still sinners, while we still had something stuck in our eye, while we still had something stuck in our life, that Christ died for us. That's the level of commitment to love that he had, is he didn't come and just throw us in hell or didn't come and just crush us, come and just come down to earth and start just slaying people. He came down and he actually died for us because he saw there was something in our eye. And it says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, actually enemies, we were against him, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He's saying, while we are totally against him, he still gave his life. He still loved. He still helped. He still cared. He still was, he was trying to get to our benefit, even though the thing that was stuck in us was something that he hates. He was still like, you know, I'm going to get that out. Because I want you to be freed from it. Because the reason I hate it isn't because I hate you. The reason I hate it is because I know it's going to hurt you. That's why God makes these rules. That's why God has all these things against sin. Not to keep us from pleasure and fun or to keep somebody else from it. It's because he knows it's harmful and he's trying to get us to a place of health and get us to where we can live the life that he has for us to live. John 10.10 says, A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come that what? We may have life and have it more abundantly. That's where he's trying to get us to. It says, not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He's brought us back into relationship. Why? Because he never hated us. He always loved us. But sin, this thing, this grossness on the cracker, this stuff was keeping him at distance, and he removes it so why he can come back into relationship. That was the, that was the objective the whole time. Going on in Romans says, what then? Shall we sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? Like, well, I'm under grace so I can do whatever now. It's great. No, it's, why? Because it's return love now. He loved us enough to do that and now we love him enough to do what? To live in a way that he also enjoys. And he doesn't enjoy a relationship with us when we're dipping half of our life in crap. Isn't that, he doesn't enjoy those things. He doesn't love those things. And so if we say, well, God, you love me enough to, like, cleanse me and forgive me, so thank you for that. I know you love me like that, so now I'm free to do whatever, and I'm going back into all these other things. Well, that's fine, and maybe you can find a way to justify it, or I can to justify it because I live under grace, not under law. But I also now live in love and relationship, and love and relationship says that person doesn't like that. 
And so I'm not going to just do stuff that I know they don't like because I'm in a relationship. I've got to get that out of my life because I'm returning the love. I'm returning back to him what he's given to me. It says, by no means, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as disobedient or as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey. It's talking about sin here. Like when you offer yourself to something that takes over your life, you become one that obeys that. Whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So when we give ourselves to God's ways, right, we become like him. We become people that enjoy what he enjoys. It says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin. That's gone. So now you can do it, but you do it by choice. You're not tied to it anymore. You can still sin. I can still sin. But I'm not bound to that by my nature anymore. I can choose to live differently now. Right? But what choice will I make? You become a slave to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. When I didn't know God and I didn't love God and I was just living in all the things that God hated, people would always try to tell me to live differently. And I would try and then I would just go right back to what I was doing. Right? Just right back to how I was. But once I came to know Christ, my insides changed. It's like throwing a stick and telling a dog not to chase it. Before, it's like, gone. But once God changed my heart and I began to love him, right, it wasn't the same. I didn't love chasing the sticks anymore, right? Now I want to be by my master's side, right? I want to be where he's at. That's where I want to go. I'm not chasing cars. I'm not running out of the house. I'm not getting away. Our dog keeps getting away right now. Chris's dog, which we now own. Our dog keeps getting away, and unfortunately, it keeps coming back. Um, but that's a different story. But our dog keeps getting away. But if it loves me, it wouldn't do that because it would just want to be where I am, right? And so when we love God, we want to be where he's at. We're not out chasing everything else anymore. It's a change of heart. That's what it means for our own lives is our lives actually change. Have you ever seen anybody, your neighbor, washing their car? You ever seen that? How does it make you feel? My wife's like, like my husband should wash our cars. No. I don't wash my own car. And so I put kayaks on top now. And so now I can't go through a car wash. So my car's just going to get really dirty. But I don't wash my own car. But when I pull in my neighborhood and I see my neighbor washing their car, I always think, I should do that. That's, look at that. That's the good life. He's just out there. It's sunny. He's washing his car. He's got a tan. He's got big muscles, nice hair. He's always washed. Have that life. That's fantastic. The Porsche, yeah, he's always washing a Porsche. I should have that car. And I, he doesn't have any kids. No wonder. No, but <laughs> there he is. But anybody else feel that way when you see somebody washing their car? Inspires you to wish that you'd wash your car? Not to actually wash it, but to wish that you would? I get inspired like that. I get inspired to wish things. See that person that's been working out, and I get inspired to wish I was athletic at the club and getting buff. Inspiring to wish it. But I don't do it. Okay, but I do wish it. And eventually, at some point, I'll wash my car. Eventually, at some point, you know, every once in a while, things will happen. When I go to sell it, I'll wash it. Things happen. But when you see someone doing something good and cleaning something up and making it better, it always starts something in us that makes us think, I, I wish I could do that. 
right? When you were driving by somebody and they're picking up litter on the highway, you're like, that's cool. I should contribute like that someday. But it still inspires. Somebody's eating healthy at the party and you got your second piece of cheesecake, right? And they're telling you how great and amazing just a plain old strawberry tastes. And you're like, cool. But then you think I should do that. When we clean our lives up and start really living for God, guess what people think when they see it? When we like start really serving people, we start really making good choices that are godly, we start really following Jesus, we start really doing that stuff. Guess what people think when they see that? They start to think, man, that's a good way to live. I should do that. Does it mean they will immediately? No. But that's what we're called to do. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. We're called to be different. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, the way you live, not just what you say, the way you live and glorify your Father in heaven. People should be able to look at our lives and go, you know what? I ought to live like that. It should inspire them. Because why? We're not doing the things that love hates. We're not living in a way that opposes God. We're living in a right way that God approves, that God designed us for. And people see it, they go, you know what? I don't really want to live like that myself yet. But when I see that, man, the way they love people, the way that they are hospitable, the way that they forgive, the way that they take care of people, the way that they just, I need to live, I need to treat my spouse that way. I need to, like, I need to live like that. And they run into it enough because they keep running into other believers and seeing that. And they're seeing, oh man, these are the light of the world. These are the salt of the earth. Like this is, help me to do that. How do you do that? Well, it's God. And it causes them to want to take the plank out of their own eye. This is what God's called us to do. So what does this mean about the people that are around us? 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 21. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of what? Accusation? Who wants that ministry? Okay, I know that some do, because I see lots of people operating in it at a high level. But it's a ministry of reconciliation. Our job, our ministry that God's given us is to reconcile people to himself, which is rooted out of what? Love. Reconciliation comes from love, right? We want to restore. We want to bring love. We want to do these things. So that God was reconciling the world through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The point is that love loves and love hates it loves good and it hates evil because evil harms those it loves and our call of what to do is to first go to god and say god change me so that i live in a way that's not harmful to myself or others and then lord help me to love people in a way that helps them open up their life so that I can help them begin to love people 
and to hate evil so that they're not harming others and themselves. And the ultimate plan of God is to bring people into place of love. So here's one example of it, and we're going to end in pray. This is back to school with Courtney Snalem. You guys see this picture? Isn't that fantastic? So a lot of people have problems or issues with some stuff that goes on in schools right now. They don't like what's going on in school. They're like, oh, school, man, the schools are crazy now. And, and they have a ministry of accusation against the schools. And I would agree, there's some stuff going on in schools that's crazy. So Courtney's response, as I was thinking about it, it just fit right into how we should be responding. This is her at a band thing getting all dressed up. She doesn't go to school like that every day. Um, this is for a band event. But she has a heart for some of the pain and the suffering that's going on in schools and some of the craziness going on in schools right now. So what has she done? She's picked up a job as a substitute teacher, and she goes in and works in the school and becomes friends with the students and becomes friends with the teachers, and she serves. And she finds a way to connect and to love on and encourage kids who may be suicidal, who may be going through stuff in broken homes, teachers who are frustrated, teachers who don't even want to be teachers anymore. They don't like the system. They don't like the kids and kids that don't like the teachers. And she inserts herself in the middle of the mess and goes and does a job. Now, here's the thing. She has far better training and far better skills as far as what she could do to make money on a job that's less stressful She's had jobs where she worked in media and she helped people uh, with business and with uh, things to help expand the, the actual messaging and do like their public relations and all that stuff. And she has the ability and the skills to go do those kinds of things and make all kinds of money. Instead, she works as a substitute teacher making little money, which impacts her whole life. But for the purpose of, she doesn't have a ministry of accusation, but of reconciliation. And she's going to go into that place that's hard and she's going to serve and love on people in a way that creates connections so that she can make a difference from the inside out which, coincidentally, is the way that God makes a difference in us, right, from the inside out. And if we all are committed to living this way and understanding that there are things that God approves and loves and there are things that God is against because they're harmful, but the way to make change in society is to first make change in me and then to love people and come into enough relationship that they open up and I can help them make change in themselves and come into alignment with how God wants them to be able to live. If we all had a commitment that way, what kind of a difference could we really make? It could be huge. That's what we're building a church for. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we always talk about love God, love people, live like you mean it, because that's the goal. That's where we're trying to get to. Let's bow our heads and pray. That's why I want you to, to pray. Just think and say, Lord, is there a plank in my own eye? There's something in my eye that causes me to see the world in a skewed way or to be blind to things, the goodness that you would have me to do or to be. Lord, is there something in my own life that you're not pleased with, something that's maybe hurting me and hurting others, or that will down, maybe it's fun now, maybe everybody's laughing, but it's, it's going to end up biting somebody. And just ask him to help you remove it. Because he will do that. It's he, the Bible says, it's God that works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He'll help you remove it. If you open your life to allow him to do it. And then commit to God that, Lord, as you get me healthy, Lord, help me to be in relationship that's deep enough and in love enough that people will open their lives to me that I can help them. And God will start opening up relationships for you to do that with. He'll be faithful to that because that's his mission. He called us to be ambassadors. He called us to that ministry. And if he called us to it, he's going to send us on mission if we'll be open to it.
ambassadors of reconciliation to bring people back into relationship, help them remove things that are keeping them from being close to God. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that as we open our mind and our lives and our heart to you, God, that you would help us, Lord, to follow through in ways, God, that bring you glory. God, we want to be a part of your mission. Lord, that you so love the world that you gave your only son, God, to bring us life. Lord, help us to receive it and help us to be able to administer it and to help other people, Lord, to connect to that and to be reconcilers. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com slash give.